0: And so today, very exciting, uh, we start a new series throughout our summer break called Defining Moments. And a defining moment is when you come face to face with a particular truth that invites you to change, sometimes challenges you to make a change or forces you, demands you to make a decision. And regardless of that decision, you will never be the same again. I remember when I was 15 years old, I was very, very passionate about the game of cricket, still enjoy the game of cricket. And um, I, I mean, I, I pretty much ate cricket, slept cricket, played cricket, you name it. Uh, but then, unfortunately, during a, cr- a cricket match, I uh, badly injured my back. And a couple of days later, I was sent off to the doctor, had x-rays. Uh, he then had a look at the x-rays and promptly sent me off to an orthopedic surgeon. He had a look at the x-rays and said to me in no uncertain terms, Jason, you must stop playing cricket, otherwise you will permanently damage your back. Now being a 15-year-old passionate about cricket, obviously I didn't listen and uh, continued to play. and. Uh, the pain got more and more, worse and worse, and uh, I remember in high school, we, uh, our high school was, was three stories high, and uh, between classes you had to trek your way to the various classes, and I was always late for my classes because I had such bad referred pain down my legs that I couldn't get up the stairs, and so I would arrive late every class, and I'd get in trouble for every class. Until eventually, I just couldn't take the pain anymore and I had to listen to the truth about what the doctor had said or what my body was saying to me. And so I stopped, which then, in that defining moment, led me on a trajectory to find my ultimate passion in life, our Lord and Savior, and to preach and teach His Word and so I, in a way, I am so grateful to the Lord that I did pick up that injury because I shudder to think where I would be without that injury. I shudder to think of not knowing Him and not being able to preach and teach His Word. And so maybe you've had similar experiences. Maybe um, uh, maybe a friend has given you advice or, uh, and, and you know it was true, uh, you know it was the right thing to do, uh, but you ignored it. And then maybe a couple of days, a couple of months, maybe even a year or two later, you're thinking, oh, if only I had listened to Bob's advice or Sue's advice, I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have these consequences. And so you're filled with all of this regret. Uh, it proved to be a defining moment in your life. Maybe it was uh, advice around a certain relationship that you knew wouldn't be the best thing for you. You knew it probably wouldn't go well. You knew it probably wouldn't end very well, but you got together anyway, and then your heart was broken, and you were filled with regret. Or maybe it was a business deal that went south. Uh, it cost you a lot of money, a lot of stress in your life. And you remember going, oh, if I'd only listened to, you, to Frank's advice, I wouldn't be in this mess, I wouldn't be in this debt. And so it proved not only to be a defining moment in terms of your finances, but just you know, stress on you, stress on your relationship, stress on your family. Or maybe it was something you ordered on Amazon.com and your husband or your wife said don't buy it, your friend said don't buy it, and now you've got a pair of shoes that are way too small for you, or you've got this thing in the kitchen that's just taking up space, and you're like, oh, why did I buy that? Why did I spend so much money on that? But then maybe on the flip side, maybe there have been times when you did take the advice, when you did apply the truth to your life, and it had a wonderful impact on your life. Maybe wise advice on a career path, so glad I didn't become a dentist, now I'm a lawyer or whatever it might be. Wise advice on a marriage partner, and I've enjoyed 13 incredible years because of it. Or maybe wise advice not to give up on your marriage. Maybe wise advice on how to turn around your marriage. Or how to raise your children. Or where to invest your money. Good advice or truth that has proved to be a defining moment in your life as you look back. So what we're going to be doing this morning or for this, our series is we're going to kind of be Hopping around the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' interactions with various individuals or various groups of people. And in each situation, Jesus presents them or even confronts them or challenges them with a particular truth, a particular truth that would prove to be a defining moment in their life, whether they accept it or not. Truths that offer freedom, truths that offer forgiveness. Truths that offer hope, truths that offer a new way of life, a new way of living. And so our story today, that kind of kicks off our series, kind of, kind of like the foundational launch pad for our series. Jesus talks to a group of Jews and offers them freedom. He confronts them with a truth on how to be truly free. Free to be who God is calling them to be. And to live for his glory. And this this ultimately is the definition of biblical freedom free from our limitations, free from our inhibitions to be who God is calling us to be and to live for his glory, which always results in our good. Because this is essentially what Jesus came to do for us to set us free from our enslavement to sin, to live for God and God alone. And this always results in our greatest joy. It always results in our greatest peace and satisfaction because we are ultimately designed by God for God. And you know, when you use something according to its design, it works well, it works optimally, right? A Ferrari is not meant to plow a field. A Ferrari is supposed to be on the open road giving the driver the scariest thrill of his life. And so, in the same way, we were designed by God for God to live for God, which results in our greatest joy. And so, Jesus has come to set us free to enjoy that. So, the question we're asking this morning is how do we experience that? How do we experience this true freedom that Jesus offers? And so, Jesus presents this truth to these Jews. And let's see how they respond in this defining moment. So it's quite a lengthy passage, so we're not going to read it in, in one big shot. We're going to split it up under those four headings that you can find on the flip side of your, or your, of your bulletin. If you didn't get one, we'll put them up on screen. They go like this. To live in true freedom means to abide in Jesus' word. That's kind of the foundation for our sermon. And then it means to expose or be aware of culture's deception, means to expose religious deception, and then finally means to expose spiritual deception. I don't worry, not all of those points are the same length. In fact, the last two are very short and punchy, so we will still get out of here with the coffee being hot. So here we go. Point number one, to live in true freedom means to abide in Jesus' word. You can go ahead in your Bibles and find John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be camping out uh, this morning. Um, so you can click on it. If you have a device, you're welcome to use the Bibles in front of you or in a row. In your row, there might be a free Bible. if or It is a free Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take it home. Uh, please Use it, devour it, because as you are going to see, it is instrumental in us experiencing this freedom. Okay, here we go. John chapter 8, from verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So the the context is Jesus has um, forgiven the woman who was caught in adultery, This then leads to a conversation with the Jews uh, standing around him, and uh, Jesus says he is the light of the world, and out of that conversation, he lands at this particular point where John says to the Jews who had believed in him, and now Jesus is going to throw out a truth that confronts him to see if this faith is genuine. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and there it is, and the truth will set you free. Right at end, that's the promise right there. The truth will set you free. So to be free in my books would definitely definitely qualify as a defining moment. And so we need to ask some questions of what Jesus is saying so as to ensure that we continue to experience this freedom or ensure that we begin to experience this freedom. So the first question is, why does he start off with if? if, immediately tells us that this whole statement here is a condition. If you do this, it will prove this. It will show this. It will demonstrate that. So he says, if you abide in my word, it will prove, show, demonstrate that you are a true disciple. Notice that he uses the word truly, because I believe there are three types of disciples or three types of believers And I think a believer and a disciple is one and the same thing. I don't make a distinction between them. You don't become a believer and then a disciple of Jesus. You're born again as a believer, as a disciple. But there are three types. There's the non-believer or the non-disciple, the false believer or the false disciple. And then there's the true believer or the true disciple. And so a false believer or a false disciple genuinely believes that he or she is a believer of Jesus until they are confronted by a truth that they disagree with. That they, are, that they just can't stomach. And so they push back and they fall away. They've never experienced true saving faith in Jesus, but maybe rather like the idea of Jesus. Or maybe they enjoy the fellowship of the church, the, the love and the acceptance in, in the community of believers. And so the test here then is this. Can you abide in Jesus' word? The fruit of true faith, the fruit of being a true disciple, uh, disciple is that you can abide in Jesus' word. Which then brings us to the next question. What exactly does that word abide mean? Other translations use the word continue. If you continue in my word, meaning it becomes a way of life. It becomes a lifestyle. Other translations might use the word continually or or to hold or to remain. Are we remaining in his word? Are we not tempted to look elsewhere for truth, elsewhere to look for meaning and purpose for our lives? but rather we are remaining rooted, continually absorbing, learning, living by his word, which then proves, shows that we are genuine believers, genuine disciples. Have a look at this. John Piper, he explains the unique implications of abiding in Jesus and his word. He says this, Abide means never ceasing to be persuaded by its truth and never elevating any other truth above it, Abad means never ceasing to be attracted by its beauty and value, and never seeing anything as more beautiful or more valuable or more attractive than the word and the Lord it reveals. So then, because of that, let's clarify what he means by word. I know I'm nitpicking here a little bit, but this is important. Notice it's singular, it's not words. If Jesus had said words, we could go, well, 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 (laughs) Jesus, which words are you talking about? The, The ones that we had five minutes ago, the ones we had around the campfire last night, which words, conversation are you talking about? But when he says word, it means the sum total of everything he has said and taught. It is the sum total of everything who he is, in other words, and has done, because everything he says points to the fact that he is the Lord and Savior of the world. So what are the ramifications of that? What if you do have true saving faith, it results in you abiding in His Word, and it begins to display that you are a disciple of Jesus? What what are the ramifications for your life? Have a look at verse 32 again. He says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, Sunrise, and so we're thinking, oh gosh, do we have to become more like nerdy theologians, you know, all intellectual and heady and cognitive? Not exactly. Because that word in the original Greek, the word know there, is used in the sense of a personal relationship, in terms of growing in a relationship with someone, getting to know them. And so what it means for us is, as we abide in His Word, found in His Bible, which is His Word, we will discover this truth, and this truth will help us grow in a relationship with Jesus, because truth is a person. Truth is in the person of Jesus, not some abstract concept. So getting to know the truth in the Bible means getting to know your Lord and Savior, And so if that doesn't motivate us to read our Bibles, then I don't know what will. But the ultimate ramification, he says this, that truth, the truth will set you free. And this freedom comes to us in two stages, or we could say as a declaration and then as a process or a progression so through faith in Jesus, through, through faith in what he accomplished on the cross for us, the forgiveness of our sins, we are declared by God as forgiven. We're declared justified, or just as if you have never sinned. You are pronounced, in other words, no longer liable for the penalty of your sin because Jesus took it upon himself, and he gives us his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. Jesus gets our sin takes the penalty of our sin, and in return we get clothed in His right standing that He has with the Father. And so God looks at us and He declares, you are justified. But now imagine this. Imagine that you are some lowly corporal in the army, and you've been serving in the army for many, many years, and eventually they decide to promote you to sergeant. And there's a big event where you're pronounced to everyone, you are now sergeant so-and-so, you get your little certificate, if they give you one, I don't know, or or they give you the stars and the stripes, or or they give you the the new uniform that declares to everyone you are now a sergeant. But now, the progress or the process of growing in that new position begins growing in letting go of your old mindset as a corporal and growing in this new mindset that you are now a sergeant and that you're now to begin living out what it means to be a sergeant. And so in the same way, this truth declares that we are free from the penalty of our sin, that we are justified, but it also says you are now growing in the power of sin over your life. Your sanctification begins, the process of becoming like Jesus. And so if you're truly a believer, truly a disciple, you will remain in Jesus' word. We will discover this truth, grow in a relationship with him, and as he says, experience more and more freedom from our old sinful self. In other words, we will grow in true freedom. But now... If there is true freedom, it means there's also false freedom or deceived freedom. And so what I want to show briefly from our text in John H.A. is three enemies of true freedom. But if you're abiding in this true truth, you will be able to see, you will be able to expose this false freedom. And so back to our story here. So these... Believing Jews have now just been confronted with this truth. This is a defining moment. But will they truly see it, or are they deceived? Have a look at point number two. It goes like this. To live in true freedom means to expose or be aware or see culture's deception. So have a look at their response, and it'll it'll make sense as we go along. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham... And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, they're going, Jesus, time out, dude. Can't you see that we're Jews? Can't you see that that we're from Abraham? Abraham is our forefather. We're in his lineage. God chose Abraham, and he promised Abraham that through Abraham would come the nation of Israel, a.k.a. the people of God. And then we were circumcised, which was horrible and terrible, but that proves and shows and demonstrates that we are the people of God. And so Jesus, we're free simply by our lineage, simply by our customs, simply by our culture. And so Jesus and his truth is about to blow a big hole through their deception. He says in verse 34, have a look at this, he says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, in other words, makes a lifestyle out of sinning, is a slave to sin. It's not about your culture or your lineage that determines your freedom, but whether or not you are free from the bondage to sin. The authority of sin and power of sin over your life. In other words, he's, he's saying to them, Anyone here ever sinned? And then, you know, it kind of gets all awkward. Start like drawing on the floor and not making eye contact because they know they sin. And then, in typical Jesus style, he has an illustration. Verse 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. Okay? Note that small s, son remains forever. So, verse 36, if the son, capital S, Jesus' son, sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what's going on is that they, they genuinely believed that they were the people of God in God's house. God's house, they represents God's kingdom, God's family, it's at the church. And so they believe that there are sons in God's house simply because Abraham is their father, and they're circumcised. But Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute. If you make a practice of sinning, it proves that you're not a son but a slave. And according to the illustration, a slave does not remain in the house forever. Slaves have no ownership. Sons, daughters have ownership because it's their home. And now he's about to prove that they're not sons. He's clearly going to show them that their lineage and their culture has nothing to do with their freedom. Verse 37, have a look at this. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Remember, that's what he's saying. You need to abide in my word. But he's saying, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, just put verse 38 somewhere. We're going to come back to that in our last point. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys, I know, I know that you are physically descendants of Abraham. But internally, I can see, because I'm Jesus, I can see that you want to kill me. You have murderous intentions toward me, which show me that that's the fruit of slavery to sin not a godly fruit, therefore you guys are slaves. You're not free. Paul sums it up so well to the Galatians. The Galatians were a bunch of Christians uh, who had experienced the freedom in Christ, but now were tempted to go back to the old covenant, back to observing the law, back to circumcision, to show or so as to be right with God. And so Paul writes to them in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free on the cross. Past tense. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't don't submit again to the yoke of a works-based salvation. He goes on, he says, verse 2, Look, our Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision... In other words, if you accept what what culture determines is free, or what your lineage determines is free, or, or you as a child of God, then he says this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What Jesus went through on the cross for you is of no advantage. What Paul is doing is he's discussing the role of the old covenant law as it relates to the new covenant that Jesus ushered in through his death and resurrection. He argues here that the that Jewish circumcision is only an outward sign of being set apart to God. However, his argument is if the heart is sinful, then physical circumcision is of no avail. There's no point to it. A circumcised body and a, and a sinful heart, they're, they're kind of a, a, a loggerheads to each other. So he's saying, rather than focusing on the external, focus on the heart. And that's what God does. He focuses on our hearts, our internal condition. And it's only Jesus who can set us free from our sin by changing our sinful hearts, circumcising our hearts, regenerating our hearts so that we might live now for God and His glory. So how on earth does this relate to us? Because, I mean, we're not first century Jews here under the old covenant. But we're certainly living in a culture that does not like to be told that they're not free. We're living in a world that does not like to be told that they're sinners enslaved to sin. I mean, we saw last week in our sermon last week, that in the Western culture, we're living primarily in a postmodern culture. And it loves to say things like, come on, you guys, you Christians, you're so okay. Don't you know now that the truth is now relative? That what is true for you is not necessarily true for me, and we flip it around, what is evil and sin for you is not necessarily evil and sin for me, And and then the big banner that they like to say is, there's no such thing as absolute truth, which is a contradiction, right, because that's an absolute truth, that's an absolute statement, And so if everyone is free to simply decide what they think is truth and is simply free to live however they want to live, then guess what? We're going to get the world that we're currently living in, full of anger, full of resentment, full of retaliation, full of abuse. Why? Because at some point, your definition of freedom and your definition of truth is going to collide with my definition of freedom and my definition of truth. And we're going to clash. There might be even a war. And the main reason why we're going to clash, because Jesus says we are all sinners. Sin is going to be the main motivation under everything we do, and it's going to influence all of our decisions, most notably selfishness. That's a big sin. And so please get see the heart of what Jesus is saying towards these Jews and towards this world that is so blinded and enslaved by sin. Look at verse 35 and 36 again. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He's saying, guys, I don't want you to be slaves. I want you to be in the house. I want you to be a son in the house forever. And how do they become that? Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will become a son or a daughter in the house. Saying, guys, I'm right here. This is your defining moment. Don't look to your culture, what it defines as truth and freedom. Look at the fruit of your culture. Look at what I'm promising. I'm here, I will, I will set you free. That's the promise from Jesus. If you abide in his word, if you have faith in who he is, he is saying this, you will never, ever be enslaved to sin. You will be free indeed. Now, let me just talk quickly to the the Christian here who is struggling with sin. Because maybe, after seeing this, maybe you're afraid that you're a slave. And according to Jesus, you're therefore not a son, and, you're in, and a son not in the house, but rather a slave, he says, who does not remain in the house. The fact that you are worried about it is a good sign. That tells me that you do not want to sin. That tells me you want to be free and you want to live for God's glory. That tells me you are a son or daughter in God's house. That tells me that Jesus' truth is in you and is empowered by the Holy Spirit who says to you every time you sin, every time we trip up, says, Hey, that's not who we are anymore. We're a son. We're a daughter in God's house. Let's get up. Let's repent. Let's go that way instead. Paul says it this way, Romans 6 verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Notice past tense. Comma. The fruit from that. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Right? Remember what we said in the first point. You have, past tense, been declared justified, free from the penalty of your sin because you are forgiven. But now, the fruit of having that declaration over you is you now grow in sanctification. You now the process of overcoming the power of sin in your life now begins. This means that we won't be perfect, but as we grow in this truth and our understanding of this truth and in our relationship with Jesus, we will experience more and more victory over sin. You won't make a practice of sinning like Jesus says, yeah, but you will make a practice of saying no to your sin and yes to Jesus. Listen to me. You are a son or daughter of God in his house, not because of your performance against your sin, but because of Jesus' performance against your sin on the cross. That immediately qualifies you as his son or his daughter. So now, back to the story. Do these guys get it? Is this going to be an amazing, defining moment for them? Are they going to repent? Are they going to abide in Jesus' word? Let's have a look at the last two deceptions quickly. Number three, to live in true freedom means to expose a religious mindset or religious deception here. So unfortunately, here comes their next rebuttal to Jesus and his truth. Verse 41, they say, They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality, we have one Father, even God. Notice they now, now like dropped the whole Abraham thing and they've gone straight for God, the Father. But you see what they're, what they're doing here. They're, they're, firstly, they attack Jesus personally. They take the moral high ground, the moral high road, and they say, well, <laughs> Jesus will, at least we weren't, we weren't born out of wedlock. We weren't, I don't know if I can say this in church, but we're not bastards because that's what the word means. Don't fire me, I'm just that's what the word means. So they take this moral high ground, like, hey, Jesus, we heard about how you were born. They don't, they don't get the divine birth of our Lord and Savior. So they take this moral high ground by saying, we, we weren't conceived by a sexually immoral act. Then they go on to say that they have one father citing God as their, as their father, meaning through their obedience to the law, the Mosaic law, which is, by the way, it's impossible to adhere to, they, they're saying they're right with God, therefore they can call him father. So don't be deceived into thinking that by a religious and moralistic mindset that you are free, that you can call God your Father. Because listen, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, shows, it demonstrates God's righteous requirements and at the same time exposes how bad we are, how sinful we are, because there's just no ways that we can live according to those laws consistently. Rather, Paul says that the law is our school teacher, it points us to the fact that we need a Saviour. And that Savior is standing right there in front of them. He says that he will set them free. If he sets you free, you are free indeed. Any other way leads to more slavery and more deception. The last deception goes like this. To live in true freedom means to expose spiritual deception. Now Jesus tells them why wow, this is not going to be a defining moment that will radically free them for the rest of their lives this next part is going to be harsh. But this is what we do here at Sunrise, right? We have a high view of Scripture. We preach expositionally. That's almost verse by verse, just unpacking what God is saying to us through His Word because we want to preach the whole counsel of God because the whole counsel of God, His Word, sets us free, right? That means there are some hard parts. So He's going to tell them now who their true father is. Have a look at verse 44. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. How does he know that? Because they have murderous intentions towards him. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So I've come up with a new uh, theological term I thought, you know, all these fancy theologians, they come up with these massive big words like soteriology and pneumatology, and they write big books like this on those things. So I've come up with my own. I'm going to write a book called What's Your Ownness? Because in this portion of text, I don't know if you picked it up, Jesus exposes their true spiritual condition or their ofness. That little word of appears six times in these verses to describe their inner condition, to describe their spiritual condition. He says they are of their father, the devil. The reason why they do not believe him, the reason why they're not hearing his words is because they're not of God. He says those who are of God hear and believe what Jesus is saying. And so this is, a, a very, this is one of the, the scariest of all deceptions, that the devil is able to to deceive us from seeing the truth of Jesus. Because remember how the story started. It started off by saying, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. And so the devil can come along and to deceive us even into believing that we're true believers of Jesus or that they were true believers of Jesus until Jesus confronts them with the truth that opposes or repulses their ofness. It exposes their deception. Scary, right? That we can be spiritually deceived like this. But there's always good news. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 6 says this. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, that's the scary part. The devil can come on and can blind unbelievers from truly grasping who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross for them. And so what is our hope? What is the the hope of the world? Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. So Paul reaches way back now to creation. And he's saying, hey, remember the creation account. Remember when God was showing off his sovereign power, when he just simply spoke creation into being, when he just simply spoke and said, let light shine out of darkness, and there was light. Remember that? That same God can shine into our hearts and minds, he says, this, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God that He can break through. He has, if Christians here this morning, He has broken into our spiritual blindness and He can break into yours for you to see the beauty of Jesus. For you to see Jesus as your Lord and Savior and what he accomplished on the cross for you. So if you're a Christian here, this doesn't mean that we ever move away from the gospel. Because the devil is always looking for a way to deceive us. But as we abide in his word, as we abide, as we cling to his gospel, we will be able to see his lies and his deceit. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, it's so cool that you're here. Uh, Maybe you're you're angry with me. Maybe I've said things that have offended you. Maybe you're scoffing at the idea of needing a savior, that that you're a sinner, that that the Bible is calling you a sinner because you believe you're a good person. Listen to me. Your morality won't save you. It will rather condemn you. Because here's what I know is true of both Christians and non-Christians. We are terrible at being good. Terrible. We cannot consistently be good. So how do we know if our good will ever be good enough for God if we ourselves know that we're not good at being good? Jesus came to change our ofness from sin and evil and all of the terrible consequences that it has on our lives to setting us free to be who God is calling us to be and to live for His glory. Calling us to be sons and daughters in His house forever. Setting us free to be the husbands that we want to be. Setting us free to be the wives that we want to be. Setting us free to overcome that sin that keeps tripping us up. Setting us free to handle our finances Wisely, setting us free to make God glorifying decisions, setting us free to live how we were originally designed to be for God, for His glory, which always results in our joy, satisfaction, and peace. Because the promise is there from Jesus. Look at it last time, verse 36. So if the sun sets you free, he has the promise, you will be free indeed. The question, sunrise, and I'm done is what are you abiding in? Because what you're abiding in, what you're living in, what you're clinging to, what you're remaining in, will determine the type of freedom that you are experiencing. Either a deceived freedom or true freedom. Culture's truth and freedom will implode on itself. It's already imploding on itself. A moralistic, religious truth and freedom will leave you wondering if your good is good enough. And it's not. Jesus' truth and freedom is based on what He already accomplished on the cross for you. So therefore you are truly free because He, God, accomplished it for you, for us. So, our first defining moment to launch our series this summer is abiding in true truth leads to true freedom, which always results in God's glory, your joy, your peace, and your satisfaction in life. Amen. Won't you pray with me? Worship team can come up so long. Lord Jesus, I ask of that so much of you right now, that everyone sitting here this morning would be a challenge to be more in your word, abiding in your word. And clinging to that promise that your truth is found in there. That as we abide in that truth, we will see you more and more. We will grow in a relationship with you more and more. We will see and begin to experience the truth of what you accomplished on the cross for us, and we will begin to live in that freedom that you bought for us on the cross in our place. I pray especially right now, Jesus, for those who are really struggling, struggling with sinful consequences, struggling with their particular sin, struggling with wrong thoughts about who they are, who have been downtrodden by the devil, going through hard trials, would you lift their gaze? Would you spiritually lift their gaze right now to see you, Jesus, to see your truth and abide in it, cling to it, cling to that promise that if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. In your name, amen.